This is Neijing Now, prioritizing well-being. Neijing is the vitality that shields us from disease. Neijing Now, demystifying medicine, cultivating resilience, empowering host resistance, prioritizing primary prevention. I'm Dr. Jayshree Chander. I welcome you to another short clip exploring Neijing Now. Today I'm speaking with Rishi Mehta. He's a filmmaker based in Toronto. He's made a beautiful film called Siddharth about the resilience of the human spirit. Rishi, welcome to Neijing Now. Thank you very much. Rishi, can you tell us a little bit about your film? Sure. It is basically a story about a father, a street laborer in Delhi, who uh, sends his 12-year-old son away to a different town to work, which is very common there, and he ne- loses track of him. He never hears from him again. So he starts searching for him. In his search, the impediments that he faces, the roadblocks he faces, are things that don't apply to people like you and me. So he doesn't uh, know how to spell his son's name. He doesn't know uh, what the internet is. So if he's just trying to decipher information that for you and I would take a few seconds, it might take him weeks of asking people. He doesn't have a photograph of his son because he never took one. So we're way ahead of him on his search on the one hand, and on the other, we all become in a way godlike to him. Life and death information to him is nothing to us. And yet we see him negotiating these obstacles with dignity and it's almost a sort of verve, like he just doesn't give up. Almost beyond the point that I think we would if we were in a situation. So to me, it's a question of watching this guy emotionally get through this journey, getting to a point where he feels I've done everything I possibly can, which is, you know, really uh, beyond his breaking point. Beautiful. Well, I think there's several points in the film, and one of them is the economics of how this man ends up in this situation where his son has possibly been abducted. So his son is 12 years old, and he sent him off to a factory to work and help the family finances. Yeah. Police officer asked the question in the film, you know, why are you doing this? Um, it's A, it's against the law, but B, put him in school and let him build a better life for himself. You know, and his reaction is, why else would I have a son if not to work him? I don't think it's any different from the days where farmers here would hope they have a son so that at age 12 or 13 or 14 they can work him in the fields. I mean, that mentality has been around for a long time. But I hope it's not presented in a way that we're ju- I'm judging it because I'm not. I'm really, in fact, trying not to judge because I think if we were in his exact situation, we would do the exact same thing. Absolutely. I think that the film does not judge child labor when it's presented in that way. I think there's also variations on how we work our kids. If you look at upper class kids, they work really hard at school. I mean, their parents invest a lot of money in their education and a lot of time and a lot of stress. And the kids also spend a lot of time and stress. The idea is is that there'll be a return on the investment in the future. So yeah, the mentality, I guess, maybe is the same. The difference is now we're talking about labor in, in the traditional sense. They were sending kids to like factories where there might be asbestos. I think there's a different set of hazards that these kids face as laborers, and there's a different set of hazards that kids face as uh, high-pressure students. We know of many students in India who commit suicide around exam time and, or if they don't get the grades that they were expected to get. Yeah. Um, I'm not also not trying to present the context of where they're coming from. We've seen a lot of this stuff before in films. We've seen documentaries and films that present child labor and, and present the horrible situation that they may be in. Slumdog millionaire. Sure. At the same time, again, it, it's purely economical. They wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't their only way to survive. There's a relationship between the fact that we here don't necessarily have to do that and they over there do. The other part of it is that the sense of how far into the future one is thinking about the return on your investment. 
I think in situations of the film with this character Mahindra, the father, he's just you know trying to get by for next month's rent. It's kind of what probably what happened to him. He was sent away to work, or or even in his own village, put to work early. But again, there's a scene in the film where the police officer kind of scolds him and says, "You people never learn. First, you make the mistake, and then you cry about it." But it also, I think for them, it's in passing. It's just like, "Oh, you don't learn. Fine, let me help you," because they are also they know they know that they have no choice in the situation. I mean, if you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. Yeah, and it's particularly poignant when the character in the film does not have a photograph of his son, and it almost seems like he also doesn't really remember his own phone number, and he's relying on his five-year-old daughter to top up the phone and send text messages and make phone calls. I think there's an aspect of that we can all relate to. I was fixing the VCR when I was, you know, seven, and my dad didn't necessarily know how to do it. And I'm sure we'll be doing the same thing. I can't even imagine the technology. We'll get a new tool. We don't know how to use it. And our kids will be like, this is how you use it. At the same time, we're talking about the basics now of like, I never took a photograph because I don't know how to use the camera phone. And it never occurred to me that I had to. Or that there's even a use to a photograph. For sure. Why, why do I need a photograph? Unless I lose something. We don't plan for these eventualities until afterwards, until it's too late. So here it's just like, oh, well, if I lose my kid, I should probably have a photograph. You don't think about that every day. But here in a certain world... We have lots of photographs of kids. Of everything. Of everything. <laughs> and, and I think also that, that becomes the basis for our, our memories of things. I remember I did an art project. It's my training comes from that world. And it was based on this idea that when I was younger, I went to Disney World with some friends. We came back and we had all these photographs. This is not the digital age. So we had in analog photos. And we were looking and there was one beautiful photograph of all of us hanging off the Swiss family treehouse. And it was the most beautiful photo we've ever seen. And I'm like, who the hell took this? It was some American tourist who was there and... We gave him our disposable camera, and he took it. I don't know if he was a genius, or he just f- did it by accident, and it just happened to be perfect. We all looked at it and said, I don't remember this photo being taken. And now, we love it so much that our memory of the event has become the photograph. And now imagine an, a photograph is never taken in your life of anything. What are your memories based on? Are they going to dissipate? If it's the most important person in your life, and then they're gone, and you don't have the power of articulation, are you going to be able to describe what that person looks like? I mean, these are almost incomprehensible to us. And there's... A, more parts of this world than not that live that way. Exactly. And it comes around in the film also where towards the end he's sort of like forgetting exactly how his son looks and he starts mistaking other kids in the street for his son. It's a really amazing portrayal of that very same concept that you're talking about. And I don't know if you noticed that the kids he's actually mistaking for his son are in fact the same actors who play his son because you see his son very quickly in in the first two seconds of the film and then that same actor keeps coming back that little kid. I don't think as an audience we really notice. He's dressed differently, he acts differently, he's different religion, this and that. Uh, but he comes throughout the whole film, and the fact that we don't notice also indicates that, wow, we didn't have a good enough look. The photo didn't last long enough. It was brilliant, actually, absolutely brilliant. The other part that you don't really touch upon in the movie, but it's also related to the economics of why children are getting abducted. I mean, yeah, we don't show any of that side of things because, again, we've seen it before. I think we have a, a good enough idea of what's happening in the trafficking world. The why to me is very interesting, obviously. I had a conversation with a a pimp, actually, in the red light district in Mumbai when I was just doing some research and just there. He seemed like he completely recognized the immorality of what he was doing and said to me that if it wasn't a money-making thing, he would not engage in it. It's that simple. And again, I'm not an economist. I'm not in a position to change economic policy. I just know how to make movies and write and and report and observe. But obviously, it's a huge trade. And if there is ever a way to change the economics of that situation, 
they would just not do it. To me, everything in this movie is about economics. The same reasons he doesn't take a photograph and the same reasons he sends his son away are the same reasons as he lo- his son is lost. It all comes back to the same thing. Exactly. And it's also the same reason why he has so much difficulty finding his child and even making a move to find his child. It takes him weeks to months to like actually collect 400 rupees to get on a train to go find him. Yeah, he's pretty crafty too when he moves to the train station just to get access to travelers who may have better information. Again, he doesn't know he needs to do a Google search and he'll solve his problem, but he is doing the best he can within his means. Yeah, crafty, but with incredible integrity. You've shown him to be impeccably honest. Yeah, there's also an aspect of resilience. He never mortgages his future for the current predicament he's in, his or his family's future. So he doesn't make any mistakes that are retroactively gonna hurt him later on, right? He doesn't deal with mafia. He doesn't get into that kind of trouble that, fine, I need this now, and I'll deal with it later. He never does that. If you're emotionally coping with something, and you did sell your soul to the devil at some point trying to get through it, you're going to have real problems now down the line because you made some bad choices. But if you draw a line in your own life that I would never cross this, no matter what the situation is, I think that line has to be pretty far. I mean, there are things I would be willing to do. I'd be willing to go pretty far. But I would never be willing to really cross my own moral, ethical boundaries for anything. I think if we stick to that, like this character, you can reach a point in any trauma where you say, I did the best I could, and then I move on. Yeah, absolutely. The way you demonstrate that is so artful. You're not bopping us over the head with his upstanding citizenship. <laughs> you know, I, I actually feel he's kind of a lazy bum in the beginning. I mean, he, he, he fixes zippers on the streets. That's his job, which is to us almost whimsical. We look at this in the beginning and we're like, is he fixing like a guy, you know, people's zippers? That's all he does. That's his trade. The lead actor, Rajesh Delung, who's a wonderful actor in Delhi, who played this guy, he learned how to do that for the film. And it took him, I think, like half an hour or something to learn the whole industry. Well, he's probably pretty smart, too. Well, yeah, but still. Absolutely. But still, I mean, the the chain wallas who do this, but basic education, basic labor class, they probably took a day to learn it. It's still pretty easy. But by the end of the film, there's a very important reason he's got to go to work now. And that changes everything. And I think he walks differently when he goes to work at the end. And I think we all feel that. I think even in the middle, when he knows he has to earn a certain amount of money to get going. Yeah. I mean, in the middle, it's like, I have a short-term goal I must achieve. And then by the end, it's like, okay, well, without giving it away, I have a very, very long-term goal I have to achieve now. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about what you were thinking in terms of resilience and demonstrating resilience in this film? Yeah. I mean, it's based on a true story of a guy I met. You know, we were in a rickshaw. And he asked me for help because uh, he could detect I was educated and my accent and my Hindi came from the region where he had sent his son to work and he lost him. And the piece of information he required was so basic for me to access, but it was so important to him. And it had been a year since he sent his son away. He'd been asking every every passenger. Every, he told me, he's like, everyone I could ask, I did ask. And so it was long gone. There was nothing I could do because it had been too long. But the fact is, this guy, it was so matter-of-fact about this situation. And I said to myself that this guy would work forever and ask forever. And I think he's going to be okay. And it's not because he doesn't care. He really cares more than anything. But he recognizes the situation. He recognizes the reality. That, that realization is a huge awakening, hence the name Siddharth. One of the meanings of the, of the word, obviously a reference to Buddha and Prince Siddhartha, is search for absolute truth. And I think the absolute truth that this character realizes in reality and in the film I'm trying to portray, it's a hard truth. But at the same time, in realizing it, 
I think it becomes this issue of I'm going I'm to get through this with some help. And he gets a little bit of help from his father. But he's going to get through this. That, to me, is one of the most important points of the film because we come from an environment here where there's a generally accepted fragility in, in so many of the things we do emotionally. The fact that we live in a quote-unquote self-actualized society, people can think themselves into a hole. And, of course, we do have chemical imbalances. I mean, I, I've seen it firsthand and I've experienced it with loved ones. At the same time, I do think there's a self-propagating. You can literally just fall into an abyss if you will it. And if you will it, you can get out of that abyss. You really can. And in this situation, I think this is a character who has limited intellectual capacity. We look at that and we recognize it all through the film. And then we say, my God, his emotional resilience is so much stronger because he's gone through the worst thing in the world and somehow he's gotten out of it. And I think plausibly. And that's what I'm trying to depict. So to me, it becomes a bit of a roadmap. If this guy can get through this, we can get through anything. I mean, a ton of bricks can fall on our heads or on our loved one's heads. There's a way through that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What do you think are the contributing factors to this character's resilience? One, you've said he has accepted, but I think there's other factors. And the recognition and acceptance to me is the tragedy of the film. It's not a question of fairness, and it's also a question of he knows he can't do anything to change the situation he's in. I think, and this is something that's very personal for me, I know that in any situation that I find tragic or that breaks my heart, literally, if I've done everything I can, I can get through it. And that's the key here. This character does everything he possibly can. And he does it right. And he also has his breaking points. And he goes beyond his own pain threshold, physically and emotionally. And financially. And financially. I think that's important. If it really is a life and death situation, how far are you willing to go? If there's a fire in front of you, you may have to walk through it to get to the other side and then say, okay, I, there's nothing more I can do without complete self-destruction, which doesn't do anyone any good. So that, to me, is the key, that he did everything he possibly could, and he realized that by the end. Right. Beautiful. Very beautiful. Even beyond accepting status is also accepting the truth of your experience. So I didn't feel that at any point this character denied the truth of his pain. Yeah, no. You know, there is pain, and we need to feel it and experience it. In this, this situation... You're dealing with a character who's in an, a class of people, laborers. And I think we've seen it here, too, in the U.S., where you're not really allowed to express yourself because you're surrounded all the time by people of, of an upper class. They stick to themselves, and they just keep their head down and go to work. So over time, there's a bit of an emotional suppression happening where they don't express themselves. Certain stoicism. Yeah. I will say to myself, because I don't want to attract attention. I just want to go to work, make a living, get back home. Like my grandmother, for example, one of the most beautiful souls I've ever known. She's in Punjab now. I mean, she lived a whole life of servitude for everyone around her to this day. I mean, I'm a better human being because I spent so many decades with her. But her expression of joy is very subtle. That's not necessarily an Indian thing, as we know. It's a very loud culture. She never realized her dreams because she was never allowed to really have them. So when she expresses joy, it's quiet. It's bursting in her, but she doesn't really know how to express it. And this is a character, I think, who's very similar the way I see resilience is that you experience the truth of it and you bounce back. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have no more pain. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that you have had to express your pain, but just that you have actually felt it. You're just continuing forth on your path, even with your pain. Sure. It becomes different when you're showing a film and you have to illustrate it. Which I think you do beautifully. If I go through anything that's extremely painful... I find that I don't actually express it either. Not to others, especially. I might express it to myself in my own way. But I recognize it, I feel it, and let it flow through the veins, and let it be with me, 
and let it propel me forward into very positive action for me and for others around me because it's a very potent emotion. You can derive a lot of strength from it. People can channel it into anger. You can channel it into amazing positive energy too. Absolutely. Well said. I think another factor in resilience is social support. I agree. And in the film, again, I, I really tried to show the people that he goes to for help are really trying to help him. They have the same issues that he does economically. Their heart goes out to him. I think we feel that. I mean, every time he goes to the phone stand guy to make a phone call, you always ask, you know, how's it going? How's it going? And it's very genuine. His relatives offer support without them asking. Totally. His friends are with them. Yeah, he's got his own f colleagues at work, and they try, but they can't do anything, so they end up singing because that's all they can do. There's the food stand guy who starts asking customers that come to his food stand for information on behalf of Mahindra. And you know he's doing it when Mahindra's not there. We show him when he's there, but he's probably doing it all the time. Like, everyone's trying their best. And I think that's part of what allows him to get through it because if you feel truly alone, I think that's a huge issue. I think everyone, we derive strength from each other. When you feel like somebody and you touch them, it becomes electric because there is actually things happening when you touch somebody. We really, really need each other. And I know in my life, I've been very lucky to have that, either in family or in very close friends. If whatever, anything happens, I'm, I'm not alone. Yeah, nice. Is there any other factor you think that you wanted to show that contributed to this character's resilience? Well, I mean, I'm an idealist deep down. That doesn't necessarily mean I think we're going to make it as a species. <laughs> I'm still very logical as well. I do fundamentally believe in our goodness as people because I've been lucky enough to experience it more often than not and see it when it may be hidden. And in fact, the, the next film I'm writing right now, which takes place in Delhi, is very much about somebody, a character, going through a huge tragedy, I guess like this, like Mahindra that goes through, but even worse, more violent. Basically, you experience firsthand the the worst evil we are capable of committing to each other and then somehow is it possible to ever come back and see goodness in people again and i'm not sure because i've never experienced the worst evil that anyone can commit I, people have in the world and we've read about it and seen it but getting through that what i'm trying to do in that film is present a series of very neutral events and see if this character can gleam the goodness out of it Again, it's not like she wins a lottery or she's graced by all this goodness on her and then she gets out of it. It's not that. It's, are we capable of seeing that goodness when we need to see it within ourselves and deriving that strength from ourselves? And I don't know if it's possible. I'm trying to actually explore it in this film in a very plausible way. And I think, again, if I can pull it off, people will see, oh my God, this person can get through this, which is even worse than losing your kid. We are so capable of it. And that's, again, the idealism in me coming out. Nice. Well, I wish you luck with that project. And I want to congratulate you again on Siddharth. It was really a beautiful, moving film. Thank you, Rishi. Oh, my pleasure. It'll be out, I think, end of June, early July, in the theaters. August, remember, it'll be out on you know Netflix and stuff like that. So it'll be available. Fantastic. I look forward to a roaring success for Siddharth. That was Rishi Mehta, an independent filmmaker from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm Dr. Jayshree Chander, creator of Nanjing Now, a podcast about prioritizing well-being. On the web at neijingnow.org. Nanjing Now is independent and entirely listener-supported. If you enjoyed the clip, please share it with your friends. Like us on Facebook and donate generously. Your support is essential to keeping Nanjing Now alive.